Welcome to Harvest Mission Community Church. You are listening to one of our sermons. What I want you to do is turn to Matthew chapter 1, 18 to 25. Matthew chapter 1, 18 to 25. And we're going to be continuing our third part of the series called Greater Hope. And uh, if you were here the last couple of weeks, the first week we talked about greater than fear. And then last week we talked about greater than doubt. And this week we're going to be talking about greater than pressure. Now God's greater hope is greater than pressure. And so as we turn to Matthew 1, just keep your phone there or keep uh, your finger in your Bible there. Um, but as we look into Matthew 1, I, I just wanted to start with the statement that pressure is uncomfortable. How many of us feel that way? Pressure is uncomfortable, whether it's peer pressure, whether it's deadline pressure, whether it's you know, work pressure, family pressure, whatever it is. Pressure is uncomfortable. And some of us, we work well under pressure. And some of us, unless there's a deadline chasing us, right? that we, we're not going to get focused until it comes to that, you know, that three-day window or that, like, 24-hour window. Like, oh, my goodness, then I actually have to get into gear and actually do something. But even though some of us were, like, focused when things are in pressure, but we would still, most of us would still agree pressure is uncomfortable. It gets your heart rate up. It pushes you past your comfort zone, your limits, your ability. You know, there's fears of not being able to meet the expectations that you feel like you ought to meet because of the pressure that's put on you, whether it's from other people, whether it's from deadlines. And it's interesting that pressure, it actually shows you the core of who you are. Pressure is an interesting thing. It, it, and oftentimes we, we shy away from it. We, we run away from it. We avoid it like the plague. But pressure is actually one of those things that really reveals to us who we are deep inside. And that's exactly what so many of us face during the Christmas season, during the holiday season. Some of us, we're, we're going to face a lot of pressure from our parents, from our families when we go home. Some of us are facing uh, pressure right now with unmet expectations, with relationships, with things that we wanted to do this year. Some of us are doing a re year review and we're looking back and we're like, oh man, I didn't do the, I didn't accomplish these things. I only have two and a half more weeks to get to where I want to be. And we have to know how to deal with pressure in this situation. Otherwise, we can very well crack under pressure. And I know many of us have been under that kind of pressure and actually succumbed to that pressure before. One of the biggest forms of pressure and that I've personally experienced, is the pressure of getting engaged. How many of you have experienced the pressure of getting engaged? Some of you raise your hand. Covenant families in the back, all right? There's a couple of hands that go in the back. Some of you who are up front, you, you have yet to know what that's like. Well, praise the God, hopefully one day you will know that pressure. It is a very unique set of pressures. And, you know, for those of you who have never been engaged, you might think, oh, what's the big deal? You're just asking a question, and hopefully by that time you actually propose, they already know, or you already know whether they're going to say yes or not, right? But even if you already know, to the best of your ability, 
like what the person is going to say, there's still a whole set of pressures that come along with getting engaged and proposing. I, I remember when I was first like thinking about uh, getting engaged, the first thought that crossed my mind was like, it wasn't even the first thought that crossed my mind. It was more my parents putting pressure on me. They were, they were constantly asking, when are you going to get engaged? You're getting older now. You're almost, you're already, by then I was almost 30. So they're like, so you're almost 30 years old. So when are you going to get married? When are you going to get engaged? Some of you already have parents who are breathing down your neck and asking that question. That was the first thing. The second thing that happened was, oh shoot, if I'm going to think about getting engaged, then I need to somehow communicate with her parents, her family. And the, the, the challenge was we were in Hong Kong and I never ever met her parents before. And so I, I conceived this idea of writing a letter to her father, just trying to be a little bit more traditional. And I was like trying to, uh, I wrote the first like two sentences in Korean. I used Google Translate. And, then I, and I'm sure you could tell as Google Translate, asked one of my Korean uh, life members to help me like proofread it. They were like, oh, it's okay, it's not too bad. Um, Google Translate saves your, your life, right? So. Uh, that was another thing. I was like, oh man, like, I need to get their approval. I need to get their blessing. I, I wanted to at least make sure that their parents, their family was, was on board. And then it came to the thought of like, oh shoot, what do I need for the engagement? Well, sure, there's just asking the question, but I need a ring. I was like, well, where am I going to get a ring? And I was like, oh gosh, I don't know where to go. And there's all these different options. And I was like, uh, you know, as you walk along Hong Kong, I started to notice ring shops. I had no idea there's so many jewelry shops in Hong Kong. You're, you walk around in Hong Kong, you're like, they're all over the place, right? You're like, Chao Song Song, and then Chao Tai Fook, and then Lok Fook, and then Man Fook, and then there's so many other Fooks, and like, so many other things going on. And I'm like, I don't know where to go. And then every time you go in the sales program, you're like, oh, this one is perfect for your, you know, future wife, and all this kind of stuff, and they're selling you hard. And I'm like, I don't know what to do. And then I finally, I got a recommendation from a friend for a place. And then when I get to the ring shop, they're like, oh, what are the, like, what C's do you want? I'm like, what are the C's? And they're like, the four C's, you don't know what the C's are? They're, and it's not like LCG, Care, Commitment, Challenge, okay? It's not that, it's not those C's, right? But the four C's of diamonds are what, like, clarity, cut, carrot, and color. Oh, wow, okay, some of you already know. Getting ready. <laughs> And I was like, I, I don't know. And so I had this pressure because four Cs, what do they also determine? Determines your price. How much is going to come out of your wallet? And I was like, oh, shoot. That, the added pressure of how much do I have in my budget to be able to buy something. But I was thinking, wait, but there's also pressure from her friends. Because as soon as she gets her ring, then she's going to compare with her friends. And I'm like, oh, I don't know because... I don't know what size ring her friends have. And what do I ask her friends? Like, what? how many carrots is your ring? That would be a little bit inappropriate, right? And then I was thinking, like, but on the other side, like, I'm going to be a pastor. So what are my church members going to think, depending on how big of a diamond that I buy? And then, and then all these other things. Like, when, when I was thinking about the actual proposal, I ended up proposing at Repulse Bay. And I was like, oh, shoot, is the weather going to be good? So I was like nervous about that and I was praying like Lord please allow it to be no rain beautiful sunset all this kind of stuff you're like you you know you you pray so hard for the weather you never believe that God could really move and change the weather until it's for your proposal right or for your wedding and then when I actually finally proposed then all that went out the window and I totally forgot what I was supposed to say and I just like mumbled a bunch of stuff 
Well, praise God, she said yes, and uh, obviously she said yes, otherwise I wouldn't be married now. But, but I realized through that whole experience that getting engaged is hard work. There's a lot of pressure, and it comes from so many different situations. It comes from so many different angles, from so many different people, from so many different factors. And it happens all in one situation, through one decision, through one step of the life stage. And, and I think some, a couple of things I learned from then, I realized, you know what? Pressure comes from all sorts of situations and places. And, I, and when I first started thinking about getting engaged, I had no idea how much time and effort and energy, how many different people would be involved in the decision-making process. Like nowhere in my mind would I have been thinking about four C's and her friends and all this kind of stuff before I actually went through that process. But I realized, you know what? That pressure comes from all sorts of places. And it can either make us or break us. And I realized, in fact, the Bible talks very much about pressure and all the pressures that will come throughout our lives to either make us or break us. And that's actually this, the state of pressure is the very state that we see the birth of Jesus, the story of Christmas. I don't know if we've ever seen the story of Christmas in that way before, but the story of Christmas and the circumstances surrounding Jesus' birth were all about pressure and the pressures that Joseph and Mary actually faced when they were about to have their child and when they were conceiving. And so today I wanted to talk about two things that pressure does. And, and it's not in the way that we think. You know, oftentimes when we think about Jesus, when we think about our faith, when we think about pressure, we oftentimes think of, you know what, how can God relieve me from my pressure? How can God help me to overcome my pressure so that the pressure doesn't affect me anymore? You know, we usually think of religion and spirituality and faith as something that removes us from our situation. But today I want to talk about how does God and how does this Christmas story actually work with and through the pressure situations that we might encounter every single day, and especially as we go and lead up to Christmas. So hopefully you've turned to Matthew 1, verses 18 to 25. And the first thing I want to talk about, there's two things that pressure does. The first one is that pressure reveals character. Pressure reveals character, reveals who you are. It reveals what you value. It reveals what you believe. Pressure reveals character. And so let's read verses 18 to 19. And actually today I wanted us to read it together so that as we're reading it that we're processing it together. So can we read verses 18 to 19 together and we'll read it in the English Standard Version. Again, uh, if you have the mobile app you can follow along with the fill in notes and the passage will actually be there. And so I want to encourage you to download it if you haven't already or just look on with someone next to you and hopefully they'll share with you. Uh, the, the passage. So read verses 18 to 19 together. It says, let's read it together. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. When we see here in verses 18 to 19, the story centers on these two people, Joseph and Mary. And at that time, this was in ancient Israel times. This was after the Old Testament, so it was in New Testament times. This was when Jesus was right before he was, he was coming. 
And it centers on these two people who were uh, oftentimes devout Jews. They were Jews in, in, in society. But we see that there's something that happens. and it, There's a whole source of pressures that we notice Joseph experiences through even just these first two verses. And let's dig into it a little bit to see what pressures he faced. There are two sources of pressure that Joseph faced. The first was betrothal. The first was betrothal. Just being betrothed puts a lot of pressure on people. Just like I shared, and many of you will experience that someday. But just the process of getting engaged, the process of talking with your family, puts a lot of pressure on people. But it's interesting that the process of betrothal and engagement was actually different than it, what it is today. Oftentimes today in, in our modern society, whether you're Western style or Eastern style, usually the first part of engagement is not the binding part. You're not actually married until you say, I do, at the altar, and you have the big ceremony, all your family and friends are there, and that's when you're actually married. But in, in ancient Israel, the two-step process of, of marriage was where betrothal was actually the most significant part of the wedding. It was actually when you got betrothed, it was when you got engaged, that you were considered binding in your marriage. And that the second part of marriage was just the confirmation, the consummation of that marriage. So betrothal marriage was a little bit different. Marriage was also, it wasn't just about two people. It was actually your families coming together to get married. Not literally, but your families coming together. It was oftentimes the fathers who would arrange the marriage in those times. And actually, some of us who come from very traditional families, you might know exactly how this feels, especially if you're getting married somewhat soon or you've been through the marriage process. You know that marriage is not about you, especially for the men. Gentlemen say, it's not about me. The marriage and the betrothal process is not about you. And then the ladies are like, oh, it's about me, right? (laughs) The wedding, the decoration, it's not about you either. It's actually more about your family than it is about you. And some of you have been through that process, you know, and you realize how much input your families want in the wedding process, in the marriage process, in the betrothal process. And in ancient Israel, that's how it was. It was more an arrangement between families than it was just solely about love between two people. And the fact that it was such a binding process and such an involved process probably put a lot of pressure on Joseph. It probably put a lot of pressure on him to the fact that he was feeling whether tension whether with his family, with his potential in-laws, or with Mary herself. The second thing that pressure, source of pressure that Joseph faced, faced was pregnancy out of wedlock. Pregnancy out of wedlock. We see in verse 18, it says, Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine? You're like engaged, newly engaged to the woman of your life. And then all of a sudden, she's like, Honey, I'm pregnant. And you're like, what? I haven't even been like, cl- like a meter away, close to you, you know? It can't possibly be me. And you're like, what happened? What did you do? You know, can you imagine what are the things that might have been going through Joseph's mind in that moment? He, his mind must have been racing like so fast with so many thoughts going through his mind. He, he might have been 
I had a mix of anger, frustration. He might have been blaming God, like, why me? Of all people, why did this happen to me? And not only that, not only the interpersonal relationship between him and Mary, but in ancient Israel, in, in the Jewish law, in the Jewish society, there were also laws that governed what would happen if you're engaged or you're about to be married to someone who wasn't considered a virgin. Let's read Deuteronomy 22, verse 21 in the New Living Translation. It says, But suppose the man's accusations are true, and he can show that she was not a virgin. The woman must be taken to the door of her father's home, and there the men of the town must stone her to death, for she has committed this disgraceful crime in Israel by being promiscuous while living in her parents' home. In this way, you will purge this evil among, among you. Just get that right. One of Joseph's options here was to stone Mary. That's what he could have done according to the law in Israel because she was not a virgin, because they were betrothed and he found out she was not a virgin, she must have had sex in some way, shape, or form, that he could have said, you know what, according to the Jewish law, I am accusing her of not being a virgin, not upholding her faithful commitment to being a virgin before marriage. And then he could have said, you know what? Mary should be stoned. Just think about that. With everything going on, not only between him and Mary, say, Mary, what did you do? How could you do this to me? Why is this happening in my life? Between him and God, blaming God, like, God, what is going on? His family, his, his, his family probably had some say. For this to be an arrangement, to say, oh, you know, thinking that Mary was probably a virgin and then finding out she's not. We're not sure if Joseph told them or not. Maybe he was trying to hide it. But in some way, because of those arrangement between family, they probably knew. They were probably putting pressure on him. And then now, not only that, to be pressured by the, the, the rules of society that say you ought to do a certain thing this way or minimally this is one of your options. Can you imagine the pressure that is on Joseph for what should he do? What would you do if you're in Joseph's position? What would you do? What would you feel if you had all those different pressures upon you in that moment? And this is the Christmas story that we deal with. It's not perfect. It's not nice. It's not clean in every kind of way. Nothing goes perfectly according to plan. But maybe some of us were in this situation where we're facing so many different pressures from, from so many different angles, from so many different people, and we just don't know what to do. And we feel betrayed, or we feel wronged, or we feel uh, like, like there's so many different expectations from so many different sides. Some of us, we, we felt this pressure recently with everything going on in, in, the, in Hong Kong for the last six months. Because you have some family members who have a different political opinion than you. You have coworkers who have a different political opinion than you. You have classmates, you have friends who have different political opinions of you. And for you to be who you are and do what you ought to do and be faithful to what God wants you to do, there's so many different conflicting pressures that are on you right now. And the Christmas that you imagined with your family, with your friends, is not turning out to, to be the Christmas that you wanted or that you hope for, or that was like in past. Some of us, we just have other family conflict that's come from other sources. Some of us, we have conflict at work. 
Because your boss wants one thing, your other boss wants another thing. Some of you have like two or three bosses at work and you have to answer to every single one of them. You're like, I don't know who to please. I don't know who to answer to. Because all of them have expectations. Then I have my own expectations. I want my own time. But you end up OTing because you're trying to please every single person. Because all these pressures are just forcing you to, to go a certain way or do a certain thing. Some of us as students, we're facing that same pressure. We go home to be with family. They have certain expectations of what you ought to do, when you ought to do it. What your grades are going to be like. Well, your grades aren't going to come out until February at this point. But many of us, we face that. The question is, how do we deal with pressure in that moment? And what does it reveal about who we are in our character? How we deal with those pressure moments reveals something about who we are. One thing we notice in this passage in verse 19 is that phrase, being. It says, And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. What Joseph did in this situation reveals who he was or his character. And we saw see that in this passage there are two things that reveals Joseph's character, who he is, his being. The first thing that he was just. Other translations translate it as righteous or good. He was a righteous or a good man. That's what caused him to be unwilling to put her to shame. He was unwilling to put her to shame, and so therefore he resolved to divorce her quietly. For him to be unwilling to put her to shame says something about his character. That means he was willing to go against what other people might have been saying. It shows that he's willing to stand firm for what he believes. Not so much what people are just telling him, forcing him to do, putting pressure on him to do. How do we deal with pressure? Here Joseph's in. He's in this all mix of family pressure, societal pressure, pressure from the law. The question is, how do we deal with pressure when everything is happening like this a couple ways that we deal with pressure number one oftentimes we we blame others we we go to blame or we we go to self-victimization don't raise your hand how many of us you know when something doesn't go the way that we want or when someone puts pressure on us our first reaction is say or to get to, to to distrust or to mistrust or to hate on that person or to say that person and what they did is the very reason why I'm in the situation I'm in. Oftentimes when we have, and, and this is what happens when we're stuck in between two parties that want two different things, right? Sometimes we, we, we face this conflict of, you know, our family wants something and then our work wants something. Or, or we feel like church leaders want something and then our work wants something. Or our grades need something and then our church commitment wants something else. And we feel stuck in between. And you know what ends up happening is we blame both. We say, oh, I'm in the situation that I'm in because of these two sides. And you know what? It's, it's the church's fault. It's my work's fault. It's my family's fault. And nowhere in there do we ever say, you know what? Maybe it's my responsibility. Maybe it's on me. And we oftentimes, what? We get angry. We rebel, not because it's genuinely what we feel like is the best decision, but just because we don't want to give in to the pressure. 
So we just end up doing the opposite of what people are telling us to do. Or conversely, we give in to the pressure because we're trying to fulfill what everyone else is doing. Second thing, not only blame or self-victimization, but secondly, denial or avoidance or defensiveness. Some of us, when we face pressure, the first thing we want to do is run away. We want to get away from all the pressure. We want to escape. We want to go as far as we possibly can, away from everything that people are saying. So when we go home, some of us, we, we, we spend as little time at home because why? Because we don't want to deal with our, our parents, our family members, what they're going to say to us. Some of us, we have kids, and our kids are not doing the things. that They're not at the place that we want them to be. So we constantly say the same things over and over and over to them. Constantly putting expectations on them because we're in denial that they may not be fulfilling the expectations that we want them to fulfill. Or maybe it's the expectations that our parents have for our kids. Grandparents' expectations, other family members' expectations. Why are your kids like this? Why are they turning out like this? Why can't you raise them in a better way? And the third way we deal with pressure is oftentimes guilt or shame. Some of us, we get into episodes of depression. And yes, there's some clinically mandated forms of depression where there's real chemical imbalance in our brains. But some of us, it's just the pressure that gets to us that causes, you know, when, when so many people are telling us different things, like you ought to do this or why didn't you do that, we get so inward focused. And all these feelings of guilt and shame just begin to well up. You know what we do? We just, we just hole up and we just implode. And our whole countenance changes. Our whole vitality just disappears. And we just live a monotonous, every single day kind of life, just dragging us ourselves from thing to thing. Because we can't bear the guilt and shame that we have to face every single day. I think if, we're, if, if some of these things are things that we're relating to, we have to realize, you know what? Pressure in and of itself doesn't cause these things. It's not what pressure is that's bad, but it reveals something inside of us that's bad. Pressure in and of itself isn't bad, but it reveals what's bad inside of us. It shows something about who we are in our hearts that's wrong. And we see this in Matthew 15, 11, in the New Century Version. It says, It is not what people put into their mouths that make them unclean. It is what comes out of their mouths that makes them unclean. It's not the pressure that's coming upon you that causes you to react this way. You can't blame your sin on the pressure, on the external forces that come upon you. But when that pressure comes, it reveals something about who you are, what's deep inside your heart. It reveals the sin that's inside of us. I think I shared with, uh, with my life group and people who are closer to me, but there was a, a season of my life that I, I think, even to this day, I would say it was the worst four months of my life, the worst season of my life. 
It was the first year after I graduated, after I finished uh, uh, my, my degree in university, and, and I was working for the first time. And it was, it was a job that I, I, I really liked the company because of its values. But uh, the role that I actually ended up doing was something I didn't, I realized I didn't like very much. But I stuck with the company because I was like, oh, this is a really great company, it's a lot of great values, it'll help me in my resume, and it'll get me uh, into a farther place. And, and one other thing that I was doing was I was also serving on leadership. I was helping lead uh, students for Life Group. And uh, I felt like, okay, if this job is going to let me do that, then I want to do that as best as I possibly can. Well, the reason why that was like the worst uh, season of my life was because I was actually not really enjoying my job at all. And I actually wasn't good at it at all. My, my, my degree for university was electrical engineering. And then the job was... Uh, a job in website design. It was web design. <laughs> totally unrelated, right? Here I am studying electrical engineering, doing like circuits and uh, you know, calculating like um, circuitry and different math, like what's it called? What are the Fourier transform? Some of you who are engineers know what that is, and you're like, I hate Fourier transform, and I, I'm like, amen. <laughs> I don't like it either. <laughs> so I was studying that kind of stuff. I was like, okay, I don't like it, so I'm going to do something different. So I ended up doing this job in web design, but the problem was, the more I did it, the more I realized I didn't like it, the re more I realized I'm not good at it. And every single day I would go to work, I would dread waking up for work. I would I'm like, oh, I just snooze as much as I can. I realized it wasn't so much because I was tired, because I didn't like it. <coughs> and not only did I not like it, but I felt like I was not good at it. And we would, the, the company culture was very open. It was, it was a little bit different than a traditional work environment, where the performance review would be actually all of your colleagues would sit together in a room and then give you feedback on your performance. And it was very, very direct, blunt feedback. Like, think about, um, like, I don't know if any of you have LCG, where you're just very direct with one another. It's like, hey, you got these issues, man. Or like, hey, girl, you got these problems, and you got to work on those things. Um, that was how it was in my workplace. They would just go one by one and say, OK, you know, some of them would try to you know, butter it up a little bit by saying, oh, you, you do some well in these things. But really, they wanted to get to the meat of it. And so I remember sitting there, one by one, they would just give me all this, like, super critical feedback. And then what really got me was one of them said at the end, like, are you sure you really want to do this? If you do, then you really need to get your butt into gear and learn and study because and, you're not really good at this. <sighs> yeah, that's right, right? I was like, oh, I don't know. It just pierced my heart in some way. And I was like, oh, man. Like, and I just didn't feel, you know, I like, didn't get along that well with my colleagues. Um, at that time, I was still new. I, I was like brand new at that time. And so I was like, oh, man, not only relationally am I not that great with my colleagues, but then also they're giving me all this critical feedback. And so I was just feeling all this pressure and all these expectations that I couldn't meet. And I think that really led to kind of a spiral because I, 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 I realized through that season, I really put a lot of my worth in what I did or how well I could perform. That year was actually one of the hardest life groups I had also led before. And I didn't feel like I was doing well in anything. I wasn't doing well at work. I wasn't doing well in my ministry. And also during that time, like my relationship with my parents was a little bit estranged too because they wanted me to go to like Silicon Valley and find like a nice tech startup to work at. But here I was still in Michigan because I wanted to serve the church. So here I was, I was doing, say, God, I wanted to do all these things for you, but nothing was going well. And I was feeling pressure from work, from church, and from my family. And, and it was the most, 
depressing season of my life because every single day I'll come home and I feel like a, a failure. I would feel defeated and everything because of so many pressures that was on me. And I remember coming back and a couple times I would just come back to my room and I would just get on my bed and I would just like, like be so frustrated and so agonizing to the point where I started to have even suicidal thoughts. I started to have these thoughts of running away, wanting to avoid, to say, God, like, what would happen if I could just, like, disappear? And then, like, all these things, all these problems, all these pressures would be instantly gone. That was my thought process. And, like, I had some of these suicidal thoughts, but it didn't go to the point where I wanted to do anything about it. But I had these weird, like, imaginations where I would say, oh, I wonder what would, what would it be like if I could just take a car and I would, like, rent a car so they couldn't trace my license plate or anything. I would, like, pack all my stuff, and I would go on Amazon. I would buy all these, you know, those, like, um, cameras? Like, you know, those, uh, wire, uh, like, remote cameras that you can, like, see with your phone? And then they're, like, monitoring surveillance cameras, right? And I'll put it, like, all over my workplace and my, like, where I have my life group and also my apartment. And I would, like, drive across the U.S. to, like, Kansas or something like that. Somewhere remote where no one could find me. And then I will wait and to see if anyone would find me or if anyone would look for me or if anyone would want to see what, what happened to me. And I think it was through that period, as I was talking with some of the brothers that, that I was mentoring or I was being mentored by, I mean, I just realized, like, wow, the fact that my thoughts went to that point, I realized I was getting crushed by the pressure that I was in with so many different people around me. And I think one thing that they really helped me to see throughout the whole circumstance, that, that whole season, was that, man, I am so defined by my performance. I'm so defined, my identity and my worth are so intertwined with how well I do that that pressure crushed me. And it helped me to realize that deep down inside, I couldn't blame all the pressure. I couldn't just accuse everything else of putting me in the situation that I am. But I realized my sin was not putting my identity in Jesus Christ. I was putting my identity in the works that I did and my performance and how well I could prove myself to be. And I think that was a really revolutionary thought for me to realize, you know what, it's not so much all these external pressures because pressure is going to come and go. It's part of life. But if I can deal with my sin issue in my heart, then that will show and reveal something about my character and whether or not my character is actually becoming like Christ. And I want to ask us at this moment like what might pressure be doing in your life to help you to realize there might be sin going on deep inside Romans 3 verse 19 to 20 in the New Living Translation it says and we'll read it together in the highlighted parts obviously the law applies to those whom it was given for its purpose is to keep people from having excuses to show that the entire world is guilty before God for no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. Maybe God is using pressure. And for the Israelites, it was the law. But the law also came with a lot of expectations, a lot of things that they fell short of. The law was there to reveal how sinful we are. I'm wondering if pressure and expectations do something very similar. And maybe God allows pressure to happen. In fact, sometimes puts us into situations of pressure to humble us, to help us discover the, the depth of our sin, 
the deeper heart issues that we've never really dealt with. Because if everything is going okay, how many of us, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of us were saying, yes, I need God? When everything is perfect, when everything is going well, how many of us are so desperate for God to say, God, I'm messed up, I'm sinful, and I need you, and your grace is so good? Usually when things are going well, we don't feel that. Sometimes God uses pressure situations to wake us up. To say, hey, there's something in your heart. There's a virus. There's a poison in your heart that I want to get rid of. And it's only these pressure situations that's going to help to reveal that. I don't know what it is for us, but some of us, we're huge people pleasers. Whatever pressure that comes from other people it just gets us agitated, our heart's beating, and we feel tense, our chest tightens up. Maybe God is revealing that you're a people pleaser. You're not a God pleaser, you're a people pleaser. Maybe that's what God is trying to reveal to us in this situation. Maybe some of us, God is trying to reveal us that we hate responsibility, that we should try to defer and blame everyone else, that we are, we are uh, self-victims in, in so many ways, and that our sin is putting the blame on other people without ever taking responsibility for ourselves. Maybe that's what God is trying to show us. Maybe some of us, God is trying to show us how much family is an idol in our lives. Family being your kids, being your, your brothers, your sisters, your parents. That whatever expectations there are within family, that we just cannot deal with it. We get angry, we get frustrated, we get impatient. Maybe God is using that to reveal something about the sin in our hearts. And maybe that's the only thing that will help us to realize who we really are deep down inside. This quote by C.S. Lewis from Mere Christianity, he puts it really succinctly and actually helps us to see how it's actually God trying to do something good in us rather than just for the sake of it. He says, imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps, you can understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You knew that those jobs needed doing, and so you're not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably. It does not seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one you thought of. Throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage, but he is building a palace. He intends to come and live in it himself. I'm wondering if some of us we're so content with our lives that we see God doing a little bit here and there. Drains here, leaks there, and we're not surprised. But as soon as it comes to some kind of pressure that makes us uncomfortable and tense, then we get upset. But I'm wondering if we can say, you know what, God, maybe God is trying to do a new thing. Maybe he's trying to build our character, who we are, into something far greater far more resilient, far more beautiful than what we imagine. Maybe there are things in our heart that are so dirty, that are so sinful, that are so self-centered, that God is wanting to take out so that we could be the palace that God wants us to be. 
That's why this Christmas story really shows us that pressure reveals our character. It shows us that pressure is actually good for us. And instead of running away from it, we should embrace it and ask God, what are you trying to teach me through that situation? And pressure not only reveals character, but pressure also reveals Christ. Pressure also reveals Christ. Let's read verses 20 to 25. And then again, if we can read it all together, uh, that would be great. So let's start reading at verse 20. Hopefully you've turned to it by now. It says, But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. We see here in the midst of pressure, something supernatural happens. Something out of this world, something that we couldn't have imagined, something that Joseph had no idea was coming. Right before the angel speaks to Joseph in verse 20, it says, but as he considered these things, as he considered all those things that he was considering, the family pressure, the the societal pressure, the law, what he was going to do with Mary, he was considering these things. In the message translation, he says he tried to figure a way out. He tried to figure a way out. And I mentioned, you know, probably Joseph's mind was running 100 kilometers an hour trying to figure out what am I going to do? trying to figure out, according to his own ability, his own intellect, his own mind, what is he possibly going to do? And, and, you know, maybe he was using skills of critical thinking, you know, trying to figure out, like, all the factors and what's the best outcome and, and using his, his mind to try to identify what's the best solution. And some of us, we really need to grow in critical thinking. We really need to grow in critical thinking. Because there's so many pressure situations that, you know, our first reaction is just to what? Give up. First reaction is to say, okay, I guess there's nothing I can do. I'm just going to sit on the couch and watch YouTube for the rest of the time. That's the avoidance part of our lives. You really need to grow in critical thinking. Be able to at least piece the things that are happening together to spend some time in reflection to process what it is that God is speaking to us about. But for some of us, we depend too much on our own ability, our own intellect, to figure out the situation. We love to be in control. We love to have everything set on our own ability, but this is the very antithesis of what God wants for us. Some of us, we love to be in control, whether it's family situations at home, or let's say it's your boss expecting some things from you at work, and what do you do? You you work more OT and more OT and more OT. Maybe God is trying to say to you, you know what, there's something that you cannot control that God has to intervene to do in your life. Some of you are in relationships, it's not going the way that you want. Some of you have family whose health is deteriorating. Those are situations that are totally out of your control. That no matter how much you think about it, you cannot possibly fix it on your own. Some of your grades are totally out of control. And 
this is something we say every single year, but we have to say it every year because there's always some people who forget or miss out from the previous time. You're going to get your grades for first semester, those of you who are students. And some of you probably, again, you might not get it until February or March. Who knows, right, after exams are done in January or something like that. Some of you are going to get your grades, and you're going to say, you know what? Man, I spent way too much time at life group and church stuff, and I need to double down, and I need to, like, study harder, and I need to spend all this time on all these exams and all my midterms and all my projects and all my essays and forget life group. And it's just not students, working adults, same thing. Like, oh, man, I didn't get the bonus that I wanted this year. Man, I didn't do as well. My boss wasn't as happy. My performance review didn't go as well. So, man, I'm just going to cut out life group. I'm going to cut out church. I'm just going to do it when I can, when I have the time, and then we'll see how things go. Mark my words, this come next year, that's going to happen for some of us. We're going to start to calculate and balance things. Oh, if I can go to this much of this church stuff and then versus this much of this work stuff, then it's going to you know, balance out that way and then I can just be doing what I want. But how many of you know that you're not in control of the end result? You're not in control of what your boss is going to do. You're not in control of your grades. You're not in control of all the future things that you're looking forward to for what you want those things for, whether it's your ultimate happiness, your ultimate joy, what kind of career that you end up with. You're not in control of those things. And for us to somehow think that we can figure everything out on our own really sets us up as God. We're saying that we are God instead of God. And so that's why in this passage, in the Christmas story, pressure reveals something supernatural. The angel reveals something supernatural to Joseph, something that we cannot do by depending on ourselves. We notice four things that the angel told Joseph. The first thing was the instruction to take Mary as his wife. The second was the baby is born from the Holy Spirit. The third is that she will have a son named Jesus. The fourth, is that he will save people from their sins. Which of these is a logical conclusion or a logical next step or a logical understanding of the situation that Joseph could somehow come to a conclusion by himself? Like to take Mary as his wife, that's probably the last thing that Joseph was thinking about. He was probably thinking, okay, maybe like, I could stone her, possibly. That would be kind of mean, right? Like, how can you go from someone who you love and you want to spend the rest of your life with to, okay, you're going to get stoned now, right? There's some disconnect there, right? Or, or what he concluded was like, oh, I'm just going to try to divorce her quietly. Like, that's the best win-win. That's the best possible scenario. But nowhere in Joseph's mind was probably like, oh, I'm just going to go through with it. I'm going to have this random kid who's not mine who we'll just see what happens with. Probably wasn't on his radar, he definitely had no idea that the baby was born from the Holy Spirit. He had no idea that he was going to be named Jesus. And he definitely had no idea that this Jesus was going to save people from their sins. There's nothing about this conclusion that is human, that is logical, that is rational. It is a supernatural revelation of God. And sometimes that's exactly what we need in these pressure situations. And that's the only thing that could really challenge us and change the whole situation. We notice 
that Joseph's mind changed after his encounter with the angel. And maybe it was only a supernatural revelation that could change his mind. And the question is, why did this change Joseph's mind? What was it about these things, these four things, that caused Joseph to change his mind? Surely, when we think about who Joseph and Mary were, they were Jews. They knew that the Jews were waiting for the coming Messiah. And so this instruction, this language, to know that this baby is from the Holy Spirit and that he will save people from their sins, this was not lost upon Joseph and Mary. And for them to realize, you know what? This is the virgin who's going to bear a son, who is the coming Messiah, the hope of God. That his name is going to be Emmanuel, which means God with us. Reveals something so different than what any human logic can somehow procure or help us to respond or understand. It's the fact that Jesus came to be with us in the midst of pressure. It's the fact that in a situation where nothing makes sense, is that Jesus comes to his people in a situation that's almost considered scandalous, is that Jesus comes to be with us. He doesn't take us out of the situation. He doesn't pull us out. He doesn't, like, change the situation so it's all good and all nice and, like, packaged. You know, when we oftentimes think of Christmas story, what do you think of? You think of, like, baby Jesus in the manger, right? Like, some animals around. He's got some gifts. And usually we have this image of, like, oh, everything's pure and clean and nice. Right? Definitely wasn't like that. There was probably like cow poop everywhere and horse poop everywhere. And, like, it probably smelled really bad. They had to be there because they couldn't find an inn during that time. It was a mess. God doesn't pull you out of your mess. He goes into the mess with you. That is the meaning of Emmanuel, God with us. That is the hope that we have in the midst of pressure. It's not that God takes us out of the pressure. It's that God goes into the pressure with us. And He walks alongside with us through every single moment. This is not the first time God says something like this. He speaks to the Israelites in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 31, verse 6, in the NIV it says, read it in the highlight. It says, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. This is when the Israelites were about to go into the promised land, but you know what? They were scared. They were afraid because they were saying, all the people that inhabit the land, they're like huge monsters. They're going to defeat us. He says, go into that place, into where it's scary, into where there's pressure, into where nothing is right. Go in. Because what? I will never leave you nor forsake you. In Philippians 4, 6-7, this is in the New Testament now, Paul writing to the Philippian church, he says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. He doesn't say, pray that God takes you out of the situation. He says, in everything, while you're in everything, let your request be made known to God. Tell God what you're going through. Tell Him your struggles. Tell Him the pressure that you're facing. 
And then he will guard your hearts and your minds in where? In Christ Jesus. He doesn't say, oh, I'm going to take your heart out of this situation. He says, I'm going to guard your heart in those moments. God doesn't take us out of pressure cooker situations. He's with us in those situations. Who he is, his spirit, his presence is with us. I started that story of the worst season of my life earlier on, but I didn't share how it got resolved. And Actually, you know, after all those suicidal thoughts and wanting to run away and, and avoid everything, I ended up going, uh, I was actually on the executive team at that time, and here I was, like, having, battling with suicidal thoughts and going through all this kind of stuff that I was going through to the point where I, I was almost ready to give up because I, I didn't feel God's presence. I didn't feel like God was there. I didn't feel like anything was happening right in my life. And I said, if nothing is happening right in my life, then why am I even doing the things I am for church? If I, can, I myself cannot really proclaim the goodness of God, then what right do I have to be leading other people? And I was at this uh, retreat, this conference that we had as a, as a leadership team. And I was at this retreat center, and I was at the point where I was genuinely questioning my faith. I was like, I don't even know if I really believe in Jesus Christ. I don't know if I'm a genuine believing Christian, because if I'm a genuine believing Christian, then wouldn't I believe God is good? Wouldn't I believe God's my Father? Wouldn't I believe all these things? But I couldn't honestly say that at that moment. I remember talking with one of the um, uh, other leaders at that time, and he was, he was my mentor. And I was, I was sharing these things with him. I was like, I'm, I'm genuinely questioning my faith right now. I don't know if I'm genuinely saved. And I was expecting, you know, like when you share something deep like that with someone, you expect like some kind of encouragement or like, you know, something to reassure you, right? And he was like, I'll pray for you, man. I was like, what? Like, are you serious? And like, I, I, I kind of took that as like rejection from God. Like, here I am trying to reach out. Like, that was my last lifeline. And I said, God, do something. And here I get it. I'll pray for you. And I was like, well, great, awesome. And I was like, say, okay, God, every session, let me hear something. And I didn't hear anything. And it came to the last night where I was just so broken and I was so, like, upset with everything that God was doing in my life. And toward the end, the very last prayer time, you know, like, some of you have been there where you're at a retreat, you're at a conference, and everyone else is, like, crying, like, ah, God, you're so good. And like, you hear people, like, praying all these, like, crazy prayers, and you're like, you know, you're like, what about me, God? You know, like, what are you doing in my life? That's how it felt. Like, everyone else was, like, praying, crying out, and, like, speaking in tongues and all kind of stuff. Like, God, like, give me something, you know? Like, like, this is the last thing that I can say. Otherwise, I will really believe that I'm not a Christian anymore. I remember sitting there, and I don't know why, but I just started to think, maybe it was the Holy Spirit. I just, it just dawned upon me to ask, like, you know what? What is it that I just genuinely want? Of all the things that I could desire, what is it that I want in my life that will help me work out this pressure situation that I'm in? All the things that are not going well with work and church, all the kind of stuff. And I think deep down inside my heart, when I was honest with myself, like my, my, my first thought was like, you know what? The, the way that I feel is oftentimes how I felt growing up with my parents, not being able to meet my parents' expectations. And I realized I projected it upon God, and I, I realized what I genuinely wanted. I said, God, I just want you to, I just want to know that you love me. I just want to know that you're there for me, that you care. That's it. That's all I wanted. And in that moment, I just feel like the Holy Spirit spoke and he said, I am with you. I do love you. 
And even though circumstantially it's not demonstrated that way, even through all the pressure, it doesn't seem like it. But demonstrated on the cross, through my son Jesus Christ, that was my love demonstrated for you. It has nothing to do with your feeling. has nothing to do with your circumstances, how things are going. It was demonstrated on the cross through the blood of Jesus Christ. And at that moment, I just something came over me. I, was like, I just started weeping. I just started realizing, wow, you know what, God? You, you are with me. You have been with me the whole time. You've been speaking to me, even though everything circumstantially isn't going well, and all the pressure is seeming to cause me to go through so many different things, but yet you're still there and you're still good. And I'm wondering if maybe some of the situations that we're going through right now, the difficult pressure cooker situations that we're going through right now, God is putting us through that because He wants to speak to us and He wants to tell us that I'm with you. He wants to be God, Emmanuel, to us in this season as we're going through the things that we're going through right now. I like this quote by J. Hudson Taylor. He says, by faith, he says, it does not matter how great the pressure is. What really matters is where the pressure lies, whether it comes between you and God or whether it presses you nearer to his heart. Does the pressure cause you to, to run away from God more? Or maybe what the pressure is really trying to do is build a solid foundation where you know that God is always with you. Not because of the circumstance, not because of the pressure, not because of everything that's going on, but because of the simple truth that Jesus Christ has died on the cross for you, for your sins, for the forgiveness of sins, for the hope that God has given to us through Jesus Christ. I just wanted to close with this thought, just to tie everything together. And the most thing, amazing thing is that Joseph's actions, it reveals Christ himself. And the way that it reveals Christ is that it causes Joseph to actually live out the gospel to be a fulfillment of Scripture. He could have done a lot of things, but the fact that he did it exactly this way reveals a lot about Scripture. The chapter or the passage right before Matthew 18 to 25, the passage that we just read and we just studied, right before that, if you are in the Bible, you'll see it's a genealogy. It starts from Abraham, goes all the way to Christ. I want to read, not the whole thing, but I just want to read just the first two verses and the last two verses of that genealogy. From Matthew 1, 1 to 2, and verses 15 to 17, it says, The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. And that continues on with many, many people. And it picks up in verse 15. And Elihud, the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar, the father of Matan, and Matan, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who was called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. So from David to the deportation of ba to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to Christ, 14 generations. So then when Matthew, the author, picks up in verse 18, he says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. He's starting a story. 
He's starting a story, an introduction to a story, a tumultuous story, a scandal-filled story, a complicated story, a pressure-filled story. But you realize the way that he introduces the story, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. What is he trying to do? He's trying to tie everything together to say, you know what? This whole story is about Jesus Christ. This whole story, all the pressure that Joseph and Mary went through, it's part of the bigger story of how the birth of Jesus Christ came to be. And the whole story of how Jesus Christ came to be is connected to the whole genealogy of Jesus Christ, how Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the hope that all Israel had for generations to a place where this pressure situation that Joseph had to go through to be met by the angel, to go through all the family pressures, to struggle with all the conflicting messages and expectations that he was getting, to still say, Mary, I'm going to take you as my wife. I'm still going to have this kid. He's still going to be called Jesus, and he's somehow going to be the salvation for all people. And I don't know how that's going to work out, but man, this story is somehow going to be the fulfillment of everything God has been doing since the beginning of creation. That is God with us. That your story, your pressure, everything that you're going through is a minute, is a small part of the greater counsel, the greater history of God bringing Jesus into this world. And for Joseph, it was the birth. And for us, it is God's presence with us every single day. You don't know how it fits into the story. But God has a bigger story, a bigger plan for us. And the end of the story is with Jesus Christ coming to this world as a baby boy and the end of that story is a small snippet of the pressure the pressure that Joseph went through it's just a small sample snippet of the pressure that Jesus would have to go through when he went to the cross the pressure that he had to face from the Pharisees who are so critical of him the pressure that he had to face from his own family who didn't believe him the pressure he had to face from his own disciples who ran away from him. Even the pressure from his own flesh in the Garden of Gethsemane where he said, not my will, Lord, but yours be done. And it's in that pressure when we see the whole counsel of Scripture, when we see God's greater story, that we realize, you know what? That's how God is going to reveal Christ. The cross of Jesus Christ is revealed through these kind of pressure, pressure situations and God is still in control. God is still faithful. God is still good and he has everything in his plan and his timing. And that's the Christmas story. That's the Christmas message of the birth of Jesus Christ that we need to know, that we need to respond out of, that we need to have hope in, that God is greater than our pressure, not just so that we can overcome and escape from it, but that we can go through it because he is with us. And that's why I want to give us the one thing, and I didn't give it earlier because I, I just wanted it to be something that we remember and we actually remind ourselves this week. That, and, and not just this week, this whole season, that there might be things that come up, pressure situations, that hopefully just this one phrase can stick with us for the next few weeks. And the one thing is that God is using pressure to show me who I am and that he is with me. 
And it's not like rhyming, it's not like, you know, pithy, it's not like alliteration or anything like that, which is fine. But I want us to actually remember this, and I want us to, to actually use this as a phrase. It's not like one of those statements that you're supposed to like remember. As a one. It's, it's, it's written in a way as an I, I as in me, as in you, that throughout this week you can repeat this to yourself to say, you know what, God, I'm going to remember the Christmas story. And I'm going to remember that God is using pressure to show me who I am and that he is with me, God Emmanuel, God with us. Can we repeat it together? Can we say it? God is using pressure to show me who I am, that he is with me. Let's repeat it this next week and through this holiday season. Whenever pressure situations come up, this is the reminder that God wants to give us. I'm going to give us some next steps just to close out. The first is preemptively identify sources of pressure in your life. Some of you are going to be facing pressure situations coming up. You're traveling, you're going to go places, you're going to visit family, you're going to see people who you haven't seen in a while that you don't want to see or situations you don't want to face. Preemptively identify what those sources of pressure are. For you to be able to identify it beforehand and then deal with it is going to help you to then deal with it in that moment that much more. So identify. You might have to spend some time in reflection to do that. Secondly, pray and let your request be made known to God. That came from Philippians 4, 6 to 7. And that prayer, I want to encourage us to pray. Don't pray prayers of God, please, like, like take me out of this situation. Never pray to take, ask God to take you out of the circumstance because maybe God is using that circumstance to teach you something. So let your request be made to know God in everything so that He will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Pray that prayer. If you need to make Philippians 4, 6-7 your wallpaper for this, this week, do that. A really powerful verse. And thirdly, promise to live in obedience for Christ. Promise to live in obedience for Christ. It's so easy to, to go our own way, to avoid, to blame, to deny, whatever it is in those moments. But let's promise, make a commitment to God to say, God... I know pressure situations are coming in as I'm preemptively identifying those things that are going to come up, but God, I still want to blank. And whatever it is that you feel like God wants you to do, to obey Him, to have tough conversations with your family, to have difficult meetings with your parents, to talk about whether it's like missions or, or different future decisions coming up. Some of you are graduating. Some of you are thinking about changing jobs. Some of you are thinking about moving places. To say, God, I want to obey you no matter what the pressure is that might come my way. Can we stand together as we close? We think about, um, you know, anything. I think it comes down to, God, what are you doing? Do we understand his purposes? Do we understand what he's trying to accomplish in our lives? And I, I really feel like if we're able to gain just that perspective of saying, you know what, God, maybe through these pressure situations or pressure from people, what people are speaking to us about, that you're just trying to reveal something about me. 
And one step further is you're trying to reveal something about yourself, your son, how you're with me all the time. And I think our first step is to be able to say, you know what, God? Maybe it's not what I think it is. The pressure from people, maybe it's not what I think it is. Pressure from family, pressure from colleagues, maybe it's not what I think it is. I know maybe our perspective is purely like it's an inconvenience, it's a frustration, and just want to get out of it. But maybe God is saying, I want you to have my perspective through it. I want you to see Christ's perspective through it. And so as we respond, let's just, let's just first come to God and say, God, give me some perspective. Give me a different understanding. Help me to see the pressure a different way. Help me to see expectations a different way. Instead of it just being inconvenience, Lord, help me to see that maybe you're using it to refine me. Maybe you're using it to help me to know that you're there. Help, maybe, maybe you're using it to show my faithlessness. You want me to recommit to being faithful to you. Maybe I haven't, I've been so far away from you, God. You want me to come back to be with you. Just to be intimate with you, to be in your presence. Whatever it is that it is for you. Let's just pray for that perspective, God's perspective. Thank you for listening to the Harvest Mission Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit our website at hongkong.hmcc.net.